Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. This morning, if God will help me, I want to speak on this thought. Mama, stay focused. Look down your row and say, Mama, stay focused. I want to read out of the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 26. And then we're going to jump backward into Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to give you a heads up. But I want to talk about a woman by the name of Jochebed, who is the mother of Moses. And I want to talk about it from the first part by telling you the lineage and the heritage. Because it's important to know where you came from. It's important to know what your pedigree is. It's important to know who named you, where you came from, who your people are. And you may be here this morning and you say, well, I really don't want anybody to know uh, who I came from. You know, like kids when you try to drop them off in front of their junior high in your car that has bad smoke coming out the back. And they're like, just drop me off down here. I can walk. I can walk. They didn't want anybody to see <laughs> And then just for meanness, I was the kind of dad that uh, when I would drop Caitlin off at school and she'd be getting out, I'd say, I love you. <laughs> Yell real loud as she was getting out of the car. Anybody do that because you can? Yeah. Anybody do it because you can? If you haven't, that, it's a wonderful feeling, let me just tell you. Because you can. And, but it, you know, I, I got a lot of things that I picked up from my family. I'm the kind of person that whenever I hang up, before we, let, before we hang up on the phone, I say, I love you. And you, you ever do that to somebody that's not used to saying, I love you? There's this awkward pause. You know what I'm talking about? I just say that a lot. I love you, and they'll be like, <clears throat> I love you too. <laughs> I don't know if it's just our people or my people. My people come from the hills of Kentucky. There are coal mining people, Eastern Kentucky. My, my grandmother, I was standing on the front row with Pastor Hill this morning and we were talking and I just leaned over at him and talked about how his mother, which is my grandmother, has gone on to be with the Lord and she's not here today, but we have happy memories of her. She was a, she was, she was a tough old bird. I'm gonna tell you something. My grandmother, Mae Hilton, she married a man by the name of, of, of Hill. His last name was Hill, Elsie Hill. And they had five children together. And Pastor Hill being one of those children, they had those five. And he, he had a terrible car accident in the wintertime and, and lost his life. And she was left to raise those five children. You know, when you live like they lived back at the head of the holler, which means there was no road behind them, you, the farther you went, I mean, it dead-ended at their house. They didn't have no plumbing. They had outhouses. Some of the young people, the young people would be like, what? What's an outhouse? Ask somebody later. They had no indoor plumbing, no, no refrigeration, and they just had to survive. My grandmother, it was before the days of Social Security and where she could draw. And so she would sell eggs and she would sew clothes for people. And she was trying to raise five children on her own with no help. Poor folk at the head of the holler. 
Some of my uncles and aunts hadn't ever been out of that holler until they were in their teen years to even see what the city looked like. My grandmother put on bibbed overhauls, men's overhauls, and got up on the side of a mountain and drove a mule to try to plow a field. That's my people. My grandpa, Jim Hilton, was walking to work and got his eye on my grandma with her five children. And he started wanting to court her, and she said only one condition, you can come back, but you can't bring the moonshine with you. Those are my people. <laughs> my grandpa put the moonshine away, and he came, and he started courting my grandmother, and they had six more children. And my grandfather, Jim Hilton, raised the first five and the, the last six, and we just one happy blended family. It came up in a generation where my grandma had to root hog or die, which means you better, you're gonna have to fight to live. Ain't nobody gonna help you but you. And so I wanna say to every mama here and even to the daddies, stay focused. A lot of people got you to where you are this morning. You didn't always look so cute. Come on, elbow somebody, say, he's talking to you. You didn't always look this good. <laughs> In the genealogy of the book of Numbers, and I like this because God has details listed. We read of Numbers chapter 26, verse 59, and this is the description of Moses' family, his father by the name of Amron and his, his mother by the name of Jochebed. Amron's wife was Jochebed, daughter of Levi. It's interesting that she is mentioned as the daughter of Levi. I don't really see um, uh, all the relationship. Back in that day, cousins married cousins, and um, it seemed like uh, folks were from the same tribe. And I'm talking about Bible days, and we could probably talk about United States days too. Some of you got stories that uh, you won't, don't really want told. But Amram's wife, her name was Jochebed. She is the daughter of somebody. She's out of the tribe of Levi who was born to Levi in Egypt. So she's born into slavery. She's born into a condition. She's born into an environment. Some of us, most of us, all of us had no say in the matter where we were born. Had no say in it where we were birthed. North side, south side, east side, west side. Had no, had no say what color we were going to be, what our economics would be. We didn't have no say in that. If you had a say in it, we won't have you preach. <laughs> but most of us, and I would believe all of us, we didn't have a say. We had to accept our lot in life. Mm. She was born... She bared a baby, bore a baby while she lived in Egypt, and she bore her husband Amron, a son named Aaron, a son named Moses, and a tambourine-playing sister named Miriam. You'll read later about those people. But by the reading of this, you would think that Moses is the middle child, when in fact he is the baby. Go back with me now to Exodus chapter 2. I just wanted you to see some history. 
When you have your Bible in Exodus 2, say amen. And the Bible gives record in verse 1, and a man of the house of Levi. Now notice she's from the tribe of Levi, and he's from the same tribe. That don't mean they were brother and sister. Come on, smile. That just means they were from the same tribe. There might have been some distance there. Are you with me? From the same tribe. And the Bible said that he took a wife of the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Why did she hide him? Because Pharaoh had put out a decree that every Hebrew boy who was born during that time was to be murdered. But the Bible said in verse 3, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, that tells you she was before him, stood afar off because she was nosy <laughs> to know what would be done to him. You ought to thank God for a nosy sister that'll defend you when you're in trouble. There was a young kid in our school, my grade, he was a big chubby dude and I was skinny as a little rail, who told me on the playground that day that he was gonna kick my butt. Now I'm not even allowed, I wasn't even allowed to use the word butt growing up in the holiness church. But he said he was gonna kick my butt after school. And I'm gonna tell you something, Leon Holloway was a force to be reckoned with. And I remember he chased me. I only lived a block from the school and I was running like I was an Olympic marathon runner. I was running for my life. He snatched me up, threw me on the ground and just before he threw the first punch, my sister Vanita snatched him up and beat the fire out of him. <laughs> Tell your neighbor I'm thankful for my nosy sister. <laughs> and the Bible said that... <laughs> The Bible said that she stood afar off watching to know what would be done to him because she placed him there. And then the daughter of Pharaoh, verse 5, came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. Isn't it interesting? She's now being paid to nurse her own child. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. A few weeks ago, I shared with you a message along these lines that Moses' mom didn't even name her son. It was Pharaoh's daughter that gave him his name. Sometimes God will use somebody else to name your destiny. Sometimes God will use somebody in your family or your circle of influence that'll pull you up out of the river, that'll pull you out of the weeds. Oh my, I'm preaching to somebody. You've been in some weeds. 
And I didn't say you were smoking weed. I said you was in some weeds. God will use somebody to pull you out of your present circumstance. Somebody to pull you out of the place where crocodiles and snakes swim. That will pull you out of your situation and name your destiny. Everybody say, Mama, stay focused. Now, I want to speak along this line, first of all, that she was a mama. And I already shared with you that we all have a mama. You may have known your mama. You may have not known your mama. You might have been raised by big mama, grandmama, Medea mama. You might have been raised by some mama and, and, and maybe somebody told you your mama. I don't know. But I do know this, all of us have a mama, and Jochebed being the mom of a deliverer, the deliverer Moses, Jochebed is a woman, in my opinion, that is courageous. She is strong. She is a woman that is a force to be reckoned with. How many know some women in your life that are a force to be reckoned with? You don't want to mess with them. You don't want to talk back to them. They will slap you upside the head. They'll let you know that, that you don't talk that way in my house. Are you, you're going to eat all your green beans. You're not getting up from this table till you eat them all. Come on. A strong mama, a strong woman, a woman that is a force to be reckoned with. And I, know, I see you squirming out there. But you have to understand that she had to be strong because she's about to birth a baby that is under threat of death. She's about to birth a child that she knows if I give birth to this child, they're going to kill my baby. They're going to take my baby. And then to have, uh, uh, you know, not only that, but then you thank God for all the midwives who were going around delivering all these babies that they did not report her to Pharaoh so that Moses could have lived. And when it got where she could not hide him anymore, she had to be creative and she had to use her ingenuity and she had to be a Proverbs 31 woman. She had to be a person that was industrious and able to do, to, to, to maneuver through life. And, and I don't know all the details because I wasn't there, but the Bible bears record of the story because God knew that had Moses' mother not given birth to this child, then the promise that he had already made to Abraham years ago would never come to completion. When you remember that God said, I will number your seed as the stars are in the heaven and as the sand is upon the seashore. And the Bible tells us of this story in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, when God told Abraham what was coming. Isn't it interesting that everything God wants to speak to you, he's already said in what we used to say in Sunday school, the B-I-B-I-L-E is, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, he says to Abraham, your children will will sojourn in Egypt for 400 years. I mean, how many would like to know from God, well, I just want to let you know ahead of time, your kids are going to be slaves for 400 years, and it's going to be a hard stretch. God says, for 400 years, your children will be in Egyptian bondage, but after it's over, I will bring them out with great substance. My God, that's enough to make me want to shout that no matter what I had to go through, that when it was over, 
that after the, after the dust settles, that God would bring me out with great substance. I want to prophesy to somebody today, you've been in the heat of your battle. You've been going through something nobody knows about but God. But can I just encourage you that when the battle's over and after it comes to an end, God said with great substance. I'm going to prophesy to somebody, you've been looking for a job. God said great substance. You've been looking for a house. God said great substance. You've had to come through all kinds of torment, all kinds of trials and tribulation. But I come to tell you that you are the victor and not the victim and you won't just have a test you will have a testimony you're going to come through with shining colors because God has already forecasted that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world I don't care what hell threw at you hell can't stop you if God before you can't nobody be is there anybody in this room that said that when it's all over and God brings it to pass I'm coming out with great substance I it don't matter what I did. It don't matter what I came out of. It don't matter what my people were. It don't matter if I was the cheapest of sinners. If God brings me out, I'm coming out with great substance. High five somebody and say it's going to be greater. So what did God need to bring this pass? He needed a partner and he partnered with Moses' mother just to birth him into the world. And that was success enough just to bring him into the world. And it's almost like God was saying, Jochebed, if you'll just push him out, I'll take care of the rest. If you'll just get on the stool and push him out, I'll take care of the rest. If you'll just have courage to go through your first trimester, your second trimester, and your third trimester. I wish I could preach on just that. If you have courage to go through every trimester, oh, somebody's in a trimester today. If you've got courage just to go through every trimester, I will give you strength to fulfill your assignment. If you will just sit there and push with all the air that's in your lungs until blood vessels pop on your face, until you bring forth a child from eternity into time. If you'll do what I have asked you to do and partner with me, I will bring forth a child in this lifetime that will become a deliverer and I want you to know you don't know what you're going to birth out when you come through something. You don't never know who God gave you and I they got ultrasounds today that can predict if it's a child, if it's a male or if it's a female and I didn't mention pronoun I said he made them male and he made them female. Come on and praise the Lord right there. Let me just encourage you today you don't know what God's going to have you birth but I do know this is, you God will bring it in such a way that when the dust settles, you, you will be delivering your own deliverer. You don't never know how God's going to use the thing you came through to finally bring you out on the other side so you can deliver somebody. The reason you fought like you did and had to go through the test you went through is because God said five years, ten years, fifteen years down the road, you're going to help somebody come out of dysfunction you're going to help somebody get their life right. Am I preaching to anybody today that you will deliver your own deliverer if you will just partner with God? Give somebody a fist pound and say, I'm partnering up today. You got to have courage to do that. You got to have courage in the face of people who look over their glasses funny at you. You got to have courage when people look at you and say, oh, it's you again. You in the altar again praying. 
Don't be mad at me for praying in the altar. That's where every Christian ought to stay, in the altar of prayer and consecration unto the Lord. But sometimes it's like that, where you end up delivering the thing that's gonna deliver you. And you have to have courage to wait and see. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, judge nothing before it's time. In other words, before you get on Facebook and give your rusty, crusty opinion about what you don't know about, you just have to wait on God and let God bring it to pass. Don't get on Facebook and talk about how bad your kids are and how you can't stand your spouse and you can't handle your job. Listen, somebody took a chance on you to even hire you and give you a paycheck. You ought to praise God that even if it's not perfect, you got a job. Come on, somebody. And even though your spouse isn't perfect, I feel like I'm preaching all to myself up here. Nobody want to amen me. Your spouse may not be perfect, but remember, it was the same imperfection in them that prevented them from finding a better spouse than you. So I just wouldn't be go run, run your spouse down because it was their imperfection of finding a better one. They had to end up with you. Boy, quiet up in here. Sometimes the child who gave you the most trouble will end up being your greatest blessing. Sometimes the child who got on your nerve. Ooh, people get nervous. Some, sometimes it's the child that broke your heart that made you have to take off work just to go down to the school and deal with their suspension again. Sometimes it's the child that you had to go and break up the fights that they started and you got yourself down on the corner where the Piggly Wiggly is trying to defend them like you one of the kids fighting folk. It was that child. That's the very child that it could be that God turns around that one day they're going to take care of you in your old age and make sure that everything's right for you. So don't you be running down that little blessing right now because God can turn it around where they'll take care of you. Can I get a smile from somebody? What I want you to write down is this. You may be delivering somebody that ends up delivering you. So you got to give God honor wherever he has placed you in whatever tribe you came out of and give God thanks. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because when you reach that point where you deliver, then you understand there's a decision that you have to make. And Jochebed made a decision. She had the courage to recognize that she had done all she could do. She had hit him for three months. She couldn't do no more than that. And there come a moment where she had to let her child go. She had to let Moses go. That takes courage. Oh, come on. Because you understand we don't want to let go of our children. We don't always want to recognize our own limitations to know that I may be part of the plan, but I'm not part of all the plan. That God may use somebody else to help my child get further than I could have ever done it on my own. And so when you turn your child over to God, you're saying, Lord, I put him in your hands. I may have started it, but you're going to have to finish it because I can't do no more than what I've done. I'm preaching to somebody here today that you've just come to the place where you've wrung your hands and said, Lord, I'm done. Put a fork in me. I'm done. I can't give him no more money. I 
can't keep bailing them out of jail. They're going to have to get their crusty tail off my couch and get their own place. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. There comes a point where you have to say, God, they are in your hands. Nobody wants to preach with me right here. But she released her child over to the Lord. And the Bible said that when she gave him to God, that baby floated down the river in the Nile without his mother. But his nosy sister was running alongside trying to watch and see if he was going to be safe when he was amongst all the gators and amongst all the snakes. And that is just what life always gives you because life is all about surviving the circumstances that you've got to float in. You didn't choose where you came from. You didn't choose how you were raised. Somebody did that for you and how you have had to now move into survival mode just to stay alive. I'm preaching to somebody that you had to grow up too fast and never got to enjoy your childhood because you had to take care of bills and you had to take care of a house and you had to take care of your siblings. Let me just tell you today, you didn't get to choose that, but you can survive it. You can come out of it and you can come out with a winner as an attitude that said, God brought me through it. I had to float with the gators. I had to float with the snakes. Oh, there were some snakes in my family. There were some gators in my family. But I'm telling you, that's when you know that God is with you. When you cannot keep yourself, he will keep you. Surviving the circumstance of life, learning how to float in that, and you got to have enough courage to have an ark around you. Let me ask you, do you have enough ark around you? Do you have enough asphalt around you? Do you have enough bulrush around you? Has, have you got enough? Somebody has taken time to spit on the mud. Somebody has time to bring in all of the weeds together to make this ark float. Do you have enough ark around you to sustain you when trouble comes? To sustain you when they talk about you like a dirty dish rag? To sustain you when people drop you? To sustain you when people say, I'll never leave you. I'm with you all the way. They're the first people that you can't, you'll see them running. I'm going to say to somebody, you've got to have enough ark around you to position you so that you can swim with the gators and swim with the snakes and not get bit and be able to survive every viper that was assigned to destroy you. I'm preaching to somebody. You didn't plan on the divorce, but it happened. You didn't plan on the bad situation, but it happened. You didn't plan on the death of your loved one, but it happened. God sent me here to tell you, you got to have enough ark around you that'll hold you up in the time of your life eventually mama has done all she can do for you mama did all she could do mama had to turn you over to God mama had to tell you to get your own job <laughs> turning Moses over to God and letting my enemy mentor him now she passes off her child to a mentor from a mama to a mentor. And Moses' mother could not mentor him for his future because Moses' mother was a slave. She was born into slavery. She couldn't mentor him for where he needed to go. She could not mentor him to become a deliverer because she was bound herself. Some of you got some mamas that are bound up. They mean well, but you had to get what you needed from somebody else. 
So there had to be a trade-off. Whew, it's quiet in here. Had to be a trade-off from the mother to the mentor. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter just happened to be down at the river to bathe. But you understand, it wasn't just happenstance. It was transition. God will prepare you for transition. And I want to say to every mother, you got to know when to quit. You got to know when to back up. You got to know when to take your hands off of situations and stop trying to meddle in your children's business. You got to turn that child over to God. You got to know when enough is enough. Kenny Rogers said you got to know when to hold them. All you, all you secular people trying to get me to sing. I ain't singing that. <laughs> Sometimes all you can do is just take your hands off your child and say, God, they're in your hands. I raised them right. I took them to church. I did what I knew to do, but I'm going to have to give them over to you. They out here fat-lipping, but I'm going to give them over to you. I'm going to talk to somebody this morning. I don't care if you shout. I don't care if you run the aisles. I don't care if you do backward handsprings. All of that is good, but because I'm talking to you hard this morning because we are losing families. We are losing generations. We are losing children, and we are losing young adults and young people to college professors who in their sophomore year have tried to talk our Bible-believing young people out that there is a God and that he sits high and that he looks low. It used to be that grandma's wisdom held the whole house together. It used to be that holidays and things like even today, grandma held the whole house together. She wouldn't let you fight. She made you hug. She made you kiss and make up. She was the woman who held everything together. It was grandma. It was grandmama. It was big mama. Somebody told you, you go back and tell, to go back to that man and make it right because he is a good man. You can't stay here on my couch. You better get home to your husband. You need a big mama to tell you that. You need somebody that don't pacify you and pat you on the back. I ain't talking about abuse. Come on, don't you read into my message. Stay out of my message. Let me just preach and tell you this, that God will put people in your life that will straighten you up, tell you to get you a job. You can't be loafing around. You got to take care of business. We are losing our community. We are losing our children. We are losing our generation because we are not, we are afraid to stand up and tell folk you can't live in sin. We're afraid to tell people you can't shack up. You can't sleep with the devil and still have the blessing of God. You don't want to amen me right here. I'm going to tell you, you got to have somebody who's not afraid of you, who'll get right up in your business and tell you sin is sin and sin will send you to a devil's hell. And you know what's happened? Wisdom has left the house. Grandma has left. And you ain't got no big mamas and grandmas today because granny today is try too busy trying to be sexy. Grandmas today don't wear their hair up in a bun and wear a house dress. Grandmas today are 42 years old. <laughs> trying to look sexy and turn around and show her hind end in a post with a dress that's so tight she got a slit up to her hip. Trying to be sexy. 
Grandma need to put on a house dress and a cami. <laughs> uh, who takes pictures like that? Why are you taking a picture of your big hind end? Put on some spanks and keep it moving. Just keep it moving. Grandma don't have time to be a mentor. She too busy trying to be sexy. I can't imagine my grandma in Kentucky. We in trouble. We in trouble because we have a lack of mama, big mama, and grandmama. I mean, them tough grandmas, they tell you. They would embarrass you in front of folk. They would whip you in front of folk and say, you gonna embarrass me, I'm gonna embarrass you. And they would spank you all the way back to the house and say, try me, try me, try me. Where are they at? You don't talk back to mama. You didn't talk back to grandmama. They would slap you upside your head. You don't talk back, you had respect. Young people will be like, man, I'm going to get out of here. I can't handle this. Ushers, close the doors and lock them. I said all that to say that if we survive all of our history and all of our ancestry and all of our struggles and all of our troubles, there is no way that you can sit up here with your millennial self, with your Apple phone, and tell me that things are worse today than they were back then. If grandma could make hot cornbread out of water, if grandma had no refrigerator but an ice in the back of the house, if grandma had a wood stove on the back porch and could fry up chicken in an iron skillet, if grandma made it, then surely you can make it with a washer and machine, a microwave, and a dishwasher. Let me just encourage somebody, you can make it. To really produce greatness, you can't do it by yourself. It takes a village to raise a child. That's why I say we in trouble because we don't have mama and big mama and grandma to say to us and we don't have enough church mothers to look at our own children and our children, our friends in church, their children and say, sit down and quit acting a fool. To raise Moses for what he was going to need, he needed more than a slave mama. He needed a princess mentor because she would show him how to hold his head up and his back straight and walk into a place and speak to dignitaries and kings. And there would be a fiance come up out of him when he saw injustice happening around him. Some of you... I know didn't get everything you needed from your mama, but God sent a mentor alongside of you who filled up the blanks and made up the difference. And for you, Mother's Day might not be Mother's Day, it might be Mentor's Day because where somebody else left off, somebody else picked you up and finished you off, polished you off and dusted you up. And now the torch is passed from mama to Moses' mentor because Pharaoh's daughter is now the gateway to the palace. See, God will transition you by putting people in your life who become a gateway. 
they will gateway you into your place. She was the gateway to his education. She was the gateway to his opportunities. She was the gateway to his perseverance. She was the gateway into his class, his notoriety, and even his dignity. But she was also the gateway to his defiance and the right to have an opinion. She opened him up to a world that had been closed off to him. Because what the enemy means for evil, God turns for your good. And God put you in a situation that you needed to be in to make you tough in the areas you needed to be tough in because he knew you were going to have to stand up against life. And I'm preaching to somebody today. Stop feeling sorry over your mama because she didn't give you everything that you needed. Thank God he put mentors in your life that decided to go down to the river and pull you out of the weeds and help you quit crying in despair. God raised you up and exposed you to a world that he would get glory out of your life. I come to encourage you. It was for your good and it was his glory. I know you hurt, but it was for your good and his glory. I know you were dropped, but it was for his good and your glory. I know that they promised you they couldn't deliver on things that they said they would, but it was for your good and it was for his glory. You went through it because God was trying to transition you. And this is what the Lord told me to tell you. You have to come to peace with your story. You can't spend the rest of your life mad about something you can't do nothing about. They did the best they could. So Moses and his mama and his mentor brings him to this, and I close on this, a moment. A moment. A grown man has a moment. A moment of conflict and a moment of discomfort. And that's why I'm concerned because we don't have enough mamas in our life to tell us you can't quit just because they talk to you mean. Just because your balls ain't treating you right, that don't mean you, can't, you have to quit. You got bills to pay, Bubba. You got a family depending on you. You can't get mad and pout and sit on the couch and put the covers over your head. <laughs> And some of us be like, Mama, you better throw Jonah off your boat. You're going to lose everything you got trying to support someone who's out of the will of God. Who am I preaching to? You dating somebody right now. You losing everything you got trying to support somebody who is out of the will of God. They just want to go where they can get a free meal, a free rent, and a free... I'm concerned because we don't have anybody to tell us. And if the pastor tells you, if the pa it is awful. It is awful. If the pastor, the pastor should not lose you as a member because the pastor has to correct you. Amen. God will bring you through some moments that are uncomfortable because he's trying to grow you. How many opportunities, how many people has he sent your way to try to encourage you to grow up? Moses looks out the window and he sees this Egyptian beating up 
a slave, which is one of his brothers, and he has a moment. Hmm. It's that moment. And he thinks to himself, I've been groomed all my life for this. I've been groomed. I knew I was a Hebrew. My mama was a Hebrew. He knew where he came from. He knew his people and my people. But Pharaoh's daughter mentored him in the ways of Egypt so that he could stand and speak with eloquence and be bilingual. He looks out the window and said, I was made for this moment. It's this moment. He saw this conflict going on and he had a decision to make. I'm either going to stand up and be who God called me to be or I'm going to just remain here in my comfortable place because I don't want to make waves and I don't want people to be mad at me and upset me and unfriend me. There will come a moment in your life you will find out who you really are. You're either going to be a grown man and a grown woman and you're going to come to the place and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm better than this. I'm going to take responsibility. So it's not enough to have mamas. It's not even enough to have mentors if you don't have the wisdom to recognize the moments because it's the moment that defines you. It's the moment. And I've seen moments in my life, and I know you have too, where something stood up in you that you did not even know you had. You saw injustice happening, and something rose up in you and said, not on my watch. You saw somebody being treated wrong and you said, not on my watch. You saw something that just didn't sit well with you and you prayed and God gave you answer and you had to rise up in that moment and say, I will not let this happen on my watch. And I don't want to say this because everything's not racial, but we understand racism in America and we understand what we've been through as a church. And as a community in the last two years, again, I say everything's not racial, but I will tell you this, there is a real devil and he's trying to cause us to have aught with one another, but we understand that we are not of this world, that we operate in another world and we have a whole different viewpoint because we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the, any church members with me today that would say, yes. Yes, I understand what you're saying, Pastor. What I'm trying to get you to understand is this. We rise above the mess of this world and we show the people who are out of order this is what the Word says. And we don't live like that. And we don't talk like that. And we don't act like that because we are people who live the Word of God. If you don't believe in this Word, then why are you here? I'm come to preach the Word and cry loud and spare not. The Bible said heaven and earth will pass away but my Word will never pass away. This word is for black folk. This word is for brown folk. This word is for white folk. This word is for yellow folk. This word is for red folk. It's for polka dot folk. I don't know if anybody's here, but if you polka dot, it's for you too. I just come to tell you the word is the word. There will come a moment in your life. You will be forced to stand up for what you believe in and say, I know this is what God put me here on planet earth. Not to put people down, but to lift people up. And God's going to use me in a great way with a heavy anointing. He gave me a mama. He gave me a mentor. But he gave me a moment where I was forced to stand up. And Moses stood up because he couldn't stand injustice. 
And he couldn't stand racism. And he couldn't stand to watch people be treated wrong. Have you had a moment in your life where something drew you out? Made you stand up? Made you take responsibility for you? Quit blaming the news and the media and everything before us. All of us, even this generation, years from now, if the Lord tarries, we will have to give an account of our generation. So you can't rewrite history. It is what it is. And 40 years from now, when they look back at this generation, they're going to think the same thing about us. We have a responsibility to stand up in that moment and be who God wants us to be. Moses handled it in a way that wasn't the best. He, hit, he murdered the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. But there's, a, there's an old saying, time has a way of revealing all things. He couldn't hide it. He caught up with him. He spent the first 40 years of his life as a, as a slave as a pauper, as a prince. He went from being a prince. He spent the second 40 years of his life out in the wilderness as a pauper. And then the final 40 years of his life, he was a prophet. And God used him in three trimesters. See, we, we managed through this pandemic. We did the best we knew. All of y'all did. Applaud yourself. You did the best you could. Everybody had a different report. We didn't know what to believe. We were so upside down. I had masks on my head, on my ears, on my nose. I, had, I did what they told me to do because I wanted to do right and wanted to, you know what I'm saying? Our church tried to do all this stuff. We tried to help everybody, and God brought us through. But that was just a trimester. What did you learn in the trimester? Did you get more settled in your ways? I'm not budging. What did you learn in the trimester of the pandemic? It was just two years, really. And I know its residuals are still here. We all felt the effect of it. But what did you learn? What is God trying to birth you into? But you're still over here stuck. They didn't treat me right. They didn't do me right. You still over here? You still in that first trimester? Girl, you better come out of that. God's trying to birth something in you. still over in that first trimester? It takes courage to move to the next level. What did you learn? What would you learn when God decides now it's time to birth you in the moment? Bear down and push because I'm going to bring your deliverer and you're going to come out with great substance. You have to learn in the moment. Sometimes mama doesn't raise you. Sometimes the mentor don't even raise you. It's the moment that raises you. It was that moment I had to learn the hard way. You remember that old saying, the school of hard knocks? Some people only learn that way. But you know you don't have to learn that way. That you can learn from other folks' mistakes who can teach you. A mentor will teach you what to do and what not to do. 
And if they're honest enough, they'll tell you their own failures so that you don't repeat them. Maybe God's calling somebody to be a big mama. Be a big mama. Bring your family up. Bring your children up. Get in people's business where they don't like you, but they'll still come if you feed them. You announce you're having wings, they'll be over. Maybe that's what God's birthing you to. Maybe God's trying to birth you out of a moment where you're in the most difficult place you've ever been in. I feel this for somebody. You're in the most difficult place you've ever been, a place of loneliness, a place where you feel like you just want to stay in bed. But could it be that you're in trimester stage? God's trying to move you from one semester to another. Seasonally change you. I'll close with this. When I was a teenager, I was raised in church. I was raised second row piano side. I sat in pinching distance from my mother. That meant if you acted up, she pinched the fire out of you and dared you to cry. You ever been pinched and then told, I'll give you something to really cry about? How are you going to do that? Pinch me till I'm going to scream. And I, you, ever have, you ever cried where you had no noise? And then her dare you? And all she had to do was open up her purse. She had a wooden spoon. She had a switch. She had a paddle from one of them broken games that had a ball on it that you would do like that. I hid those. She had an electric cord. No, I'm just teasing. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> She'd snatch you up and take you to the nursery and spank you in front of everybody in the church. Mama didn't play. And that's why we got the problems we got today because you can't correct nobody. Can't correct nobody. Bless God, I don't have to put up with this. No, you don't. But you'll never grow in the moment. You'll never even come to your moment. You got to come to the moment. So I'd been raised in the church. I knew what to do, and I knew what to do right for the DR man. I knew I had to write. I was raised in the holiness church. You had to do right. You had to do right. That's what they made you do. They call you out. They see you living. They, they could, even if they smelled sin on you, even if you look suspicious, they'd be looking at you. You got something you need to pray about? Like the force was with them. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh my goodness, they can read my mind. They'd come after you. And, they'd, and you, and you'd usually break down and cry because you knew, even if there wasn't nothing, you just felt convicted. <laughs> and they'd pray with you. So I was a teenager. I was working at Dairy Queen. I'm making $2.50 an hour. That was below minimum wage. I was wearing brown polyester, bell-bottom pants, white shirt, a smock, and a cone for my hat. They had me on the grill. I had a bad case of acne. It was bad. It was rough. How many of you remember those years? It was rough. If you don't remember them, ask somebody to you. They remember you. But it was rough. And I mean, I was making, flipping burgers and making cones and all that. I didn't have much money, but I had the night, my mom and dad had gave me the 1981 Chevy Malibu. I called it the grocery getter. Four-door sedan. Every young person wants one. The family car. And dad said, if you'll pay the insurance on it, you can have it. I said, okay. So I'd pay insurance. And that all came out of my $2.50 an hour. So I didn't have much money for gas. But all then gas at that time, if I remember right, was 87 cents. 
and I filled my whole car up. Somebody said, wow. <laughs> Ooh, come on in. I'm telling you, 87 cents is no joke. And I had pulled up to the pump, I was filling my gas tank up, and I got in just about $5, and the whole power of the gas station went out. And then it came back on and reset all the pumps to zero. And the person came over the microphone and said, Sir, <laughs> had you filled up any gas? And I had a moment. I failed the moment. Because my selfish, stingy side, flesh that had not been crucified, doing stuff I knew I shouldn't have been doing, where I shouldn't have been. I said, no, uh, I had just getting ready to start. I lied. Stood right there and lied to the man. So I put $5 of gas in, paid it. You'd go in because you didn't have debit cards, reward cards. You didn't have none of that. Had to slip the $5. And I lived in the hood. So we had bulletproof glass. You could never talk to them. About it. They had that little speaker. I'd like to pay $5 of gas. And you had to slide it through the tray. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get your hand caught. <laughs> and so I paid my money. I went home. I started feeling so convicted that I went to bed that night. And all night long, I dreamed about gasoline. The Lord wouldn't let it up. I kept dreaming about gasoline, gasoline, gasoline. I felt so convicted. Thank God for conviction today. I went to my mom and dad and cried. Said, I've, I've sinned, I've sinned. What'd you do? I stole $5 of gas. Some of us today be like, oh, that ain't nothing. You better get your house in order. Somebody said, well, the teller gave me $20 extra. The Lord was blessing me. No, he was testing you. He wasn't blessing you. He was testing you to see if you would own up in the moment and be responsible because he has great things for you to birth. But he has to mature you in the moment. So my mom and dad gave me $5 because I was broke. <laughs> and I went down to the gas station and this old, this teenager, a young adult, much younger, older than me, is standing behind the glass. And I said, sir, I need to return this $5. Yesterday I was in here and I stole gas. <laughs> and I'm a Christian. You ought to see the look on his face. What is this player doing? I mean, but I gave him that $5 and he probably put it in his pocket. But I didn't dream about no gas that night. Because I gave it back. In the moment. It took a moment to raise me to a place where God could birth me. Sometimes it'll be a mama. Sometimes it'll be a mentor. But most of the time, it'll be a moment. Father, I thank you today for the grace that is being multiplied to your people today. Never in, in our life would you ever leave us or forsake us. That no matter what we were born into or where we came from or whatever our lot in life was, there would always be you pushing us to the next trimester, to the next part of our delivery to birth a moment in our life that would raise us up to become the deliverer for your people. And God, I'm speaking to people, and I know you are, to hearts today of people who have the potential and the propensity 
to change the course and direction of a young person's life. To be a mama, a big mama, a big daddy in somebody's life to help them come up so that we can change the course and the direction of the generation coming behind us in the city of Indianapolis and around the world. But God, it starts with each of us because we've decided to stay focused. I'm saying to every mama, mama, stay focused. Daddy, stay focused. Let God use you to raise other people up. And I'm here to speak to somebody else right now. I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to somebody who's just been, you've been through some horrible things. You've been through some hard issues. Things did not turn out the way that you had hoped. And the Holy Spirit has led me to tell you that that was your moment. And I felt, even feel prophetically to say to someone, you passed, you passed. Quit beating yourself up. You passed. It was the moment that has prepared you for the birth. <laughs> Ooh, glory, I feel peace that just came into the room. Peace just came into this room. Somebody experience and breathe that in. That is for you. You passed. Hallelujah. My God, if that's you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even sit in my seat. I'd get up here and just find me a place to thank God in this altar. You passed. You went through some hard stuff, but God said you passed. You passed it. The moment was hard. Oh, yes, it was. But it's defined you. Something in you stood up. Something in you was developed. Something in you that will come back in years and days to come. That you will have fortitude and strength and tenacity. Oh, I feel this for somebody. And you will be able to know that God's hand was in it all. God's hand was in it all. He was in it. I passed. I hear the Holy Spirit just wooing us and dealing with us and speaking to us. Father, I thank you. Thank you, God, no matter where I've come from, that I've come, that I kept coming, that I kept coming. I didn't stop there, but I kept coming. And I may have had a few snags and side detours, and there may have been some places that I didn't want 100%, but I'm here today. And I recognize that you're sending moments in my life to bring me to my destiny. Stay focused, friends. Stay focused. If you're here today and you need to reconcile your life to Jesus, you need to talk to Him and you need to re renew your relationship to Jesus Christ, do that right where you're seated right now. Talk to Him. Nobody around you, nobody pressuring you. But for you and you alone, you talk to God and let the Holy Spirit in. Let Him in. Open your heart wide and let Him in. Those of you that want to come and pray, the altars have been open all service. Just come. Lord, I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you. Those of you that are in need of him to perform a miracle in your life, you're at a place of transition. You're at a place where God's birthing you from the next one trimester to the next, well, the first, the second, the third. You're, you're somewhere in there. Let the Holy Spirit just speak to you and find you a place in this altar to pray. Maybe at your seat, kneeling down. Maybe with just your head bowed, but just talk to Him. Posture yourself.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 